You are listening to Fanta Tracks. Because of the following special program, Wonder Woman and the Incredible Hulk will not be presented this evening. Star Wars news in a single file. This is Making Tracks. Here are your hosts, Mark Newbold and Mark Lowcaster. That's not true. That's impossible. You're listening to episode 47 of Making Tracks. I'm your co-host, Mark Newbold, and joining me today is a man who has literally been hanging around all afternoon. Mark, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm glad you only said hanging around and not that I've been hanging around outside a children's play park. More about that when we um, when we kind of get to the Empire 40 stuff, maybe. Yes, right. yes. Well, we're definitely talking about Empire 40 because this is the last episode of Making Tracks before Empire 40 on Sunday, the 2nd of August, which isn't that far away, really. I can't believe we're August already. What's happened to this I- year, Mark? It's like someone's messed with the time machine. It's bonkers, isn't it? I always feel like this, partly because uh, that's just what happens as you get older. Time seems to go quicker. We were having a conversation the other day about Rogue One's going to be five years next year. Yeah. I mean, it's bonkers. It only feels like it came out last year. Literally every year, if you look at the Lucasfilm, next year's yeah. the 40th anniversary of Raiders, and then the year after that is 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones. And so now we're in that cycle. Now you're either going to be getting 40, you know, the year after is the 40th anniversary of Jedi. Anniversary is just constantly coming at us now, and really, we're only seven years away from the 50th anniversary of Star Wars. Yeah, that will make, I think, a lot of people feel really old, and actually, even me, I reckon. But that's the thing, you know, there's there's Star Wars for everyone, so now there's an anniversary to celebrate, you know, any film that they've released, um, which is great, because new merch is always good, and that's a massive problem for my bank balance. Oh, it's a massive problem for fitting everything into my room upstairs to the point that I've now taken over the spare room as well and my, yeah. my wife is not impressed. No, I can imagine. I mean, in fairness, I got some stuff uh, this week from In Demand Toys and I've literally, I've, I've had a look at them but they've gone back into the boxes that they came out because <laughs> I'm just like, I have nowhere to put them right now. So all that kind of retro ESB figures and stuff, they will stay there case fresh until i i can basically sweet talk somebody into let me knock down the garage wall and kind of extend the collection room again we're talking about trying to fit things into collections uh, it's comic-con at home this week as we speak it's ongoing right now and lucasfilm publishing had a panel and uh christian baver was the host and brought together a whole bunch of of uh, authors justina ireland uh, pretty chiba George Mann, who's done that brilliant Dark Legends book that's just come out. Rebecca Roanhorse, Alex Segura, Poe Dameron Freefall, looking forward to reading that. Tom Engelberger, who wrote the uh, the Wookiee book that I talked about on Star Wars Book Club. Timothy Zahn, who's obviously a complete legend. Greg Pack, who's writing the new Darth Vader comic. And Alyssa Wong, as well, who's doing uh, Doctor Aphra for Marvel. So they all got together, spoke about what's coming. There's some really cool stuff on the way. And the thing that caught my eye, first of all because a friend of ours is involved, Nick Brokenshire, who is obviously a member of Blues Harvest, who are the guests on the forthcoming episode of Desert Planet Discs, so tune in on Thursday for that. He's part of IDW's new Star Wars Adventures series, Shadow of Vader's Castle. It's a 30-page one-shot. The Star Wars Adventures comic line as well. Brokenshire's doing some work on that, which is really exciting and great news for him. I take it you've read the, the Vader's Castle. Yeah, Vader's Castle's brilliant. The artwork's gorgeous. It reminds me of the old... 
creepy and eerie vampirella type era stuff in that. It's really sort of six fifties, sixties horror comic vibe about it, which obviously it's, it's Halloween based, so that's kind of the thing. And also being on Mustafar, being at the castle, which of course we saw in Rogue One, but then Macquarie was doing sketches of it back for you know. Return of the Jedi era, you know, it's been around as, as a sort of a concept for years and years, and now IDW and Lucasfilm are really buying into it. So that's really cool. I, I was a little bit disappointed that Shadow of Vader's Castle is a one-shot because the last two series were both sort of, I think they were four-parters, if I remember off the top of my head. But nevertheless, if it keeps it ticking over, keeps it going, I'm all in for it. it and the covers are gorgeous. I mean, they've, they've really, uh, they completely fit with what they've done before and they look fantastic. So really looking forward to that. Also, they're rebooting Star Wars Adventures, which you just mentioned, and uh, moving it across multiple Star Wars eras. Uh, and there's some big covers revealed on StarWars.com of that and they look phenomenally gorgeous. So definitely all in for that. Out of everything that they kind of talked about yesterday, I'm really looking forward to the Poe Dameron book. There's just not enough backstory for a lot of the sequel era characters. So the more that we can get, I think is just going to be worth it. And I think Poe's kind of like, he's a happy-go-lucky guy. So shades of Han Solo and his endeavours and what have you. And I'm just kind of curious just to kind of see the actual relationship between him and Zori Bliss. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think with the characters, the three lead characters... It's a bit like Rogue One where most of the other characters you could kind of give a backstory to. So they did the, you know, the Bays and Chirrut book and, you know, there's a K2 book and there's a, or rather there's a K2 and Cassian TV series coming. A lot of these characters you can delve into saw we saw on the Clone Wars. So most yeah. of them have a history, but Jin didn't. Her as a character in Rogue One felt like her big moment, didn't it? Yeah, there was a YA novel about Jin. There was, but it doesn't feel like you could do a continuous, like a comic book series, whereas you think you could do a Cassian. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jin hasn't got that lengthy, involved with other characters type story. No. It's like she was with Saw, and then Saw hadn't seen her for, what, five or six years? And yeah. so she was probably keeping her head down pretty much. It's the same with Ray. Ray lives on Jakku. She's a scavenger. She's, she's maybe having little scrapes and bumps to keep her head above water. Not that there's any water on Jakku, but, you know, yeah. just keeping herself alive. Hey. Head above sand. Exactly, yeah. It doesn't feel like there's a huge, big storyline that could be done about Rey pre-Force Awakens. That was her big awakening, yeah. I guess. You know, That's and the same, moment. Yeah, and the same with Finn. He's a stormtrooper. He's just training to be a stormtrooper. So it's his story is the same as any other stormtrooper story, pretty much, because that's the monotony of training to be a stormtrooper. But, but Poe, you're absolutely right. You know, I love the fact that he was a spice runner. You've got that sort of link to the solo. Not that there's any connection, but, you know, Han was an ex-imperial and then he goes on on the underground and has his career doing all the stuff he did and you know some Corellia so it's kind of in his wheelhouse because that's that's it's that kind of world and Poe having that kind of history you know you almost think is he was he a military guy all the way through no he's just as shady as the next guy I love that so yeah you absolutely agree I think that'll be fun to follow one of the other books they're doing a in-universe version of myths and fables so it's uh, it's designed to look like you're you would buy it if you were a person living in the Star Wars galaxy which I think is a fantastic idea and the art of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge uh, written by Amy Ratcliffe which uh, anyone who's got any hopes of going to Galaxy's Edge or has just even seen the artwork surrounding it is going to be interested in that book some of those concept drawings that Doug Chang showed off I think at like D23 and stuff like that it just they just look beautiful yeah, I mean, it's definitely a book I'm going to pick up, not because it's just a, an art of book, but I think it will be interesting to see kind of the evolution. If it's anything like the art of um, the sequel trilogy books, yeah. 
then you're going to see kind of like a nice evolution of some of the characters and the locales, which will be quite fun, I think, because it'd be interesting to see kind of the design process and what they rejected or decided to go another direction with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because obviously Batu is absolutely no doubt about it. It's a Star Wars location. You can't mistake it for anything else. The architecture, everything about it screams Star Wars without being a location we'd ever seen before Galaxy's Edge opened. So you're right. It'll be interesting to see how they pull that all together question for you though yes sir so there's been a lot of comics about batu and it's it's been in a lot of books it's been in like the fawn books and stuff like that do you find it hard to kind of like separate batu the in-universe galaxy planet from the theme park that's a good point actually yeah i mean i get why they do it i get why they wanted to sort of fold it in and this new era of films and tv and, and stuff has done a lot of building in that sense like Mazzy's Castle was the place in Force Awakens and you know what I mean they've, they've, and Canto Bite in Last Jedi they've sort of given each film a, a sort of a, a hook you know I guess you'd say Kajimi in, in Rise of Skywalker but Batu, yeah I mean when you think about Galaxy's Edge you think of the theme park but it is kind of cool that they've folded it in yeah you do that you inevitably do because we knew of the park before we knew of the place, if that makes any sense. You, you, th- you mm-hmm. sort of say, you know, yeah. we would say Galaxy's Edge, but really you should say Batu or Black Spire, you know, but you don't. Even though you heard it in Solo, L3 mentions it in Solo, but yeah, you do think of the park. But I like the fact that it's another one of these sort of hidey holes across the galaxy, like, like Maz's was before it got destroyed in Force Awakens. And there's other places in the core, right in the core, and way on the outer rim, and sort of trading posts. And I yeah, think like yeah. Ord Mantel gets mentioned, and there's other Ords around the galaxy that were sort of stations and such. So, I mean, I think out of everywhere else, I think it does run the risk of potentially becoming the next Tatooine, mm. you know, and, and Tatooine kind of gets a bad rap, and I think sometimes unjustly so. You know, as, as soon as the story returns to Tatooine, you know, you kind of sometimes hear a collective sigh from yeah. the fan base kind of saying, oh, why, why are we back here? This is, you know, this hasn't been done. Whilst Batu is meant to be a bit of a hub, it is out on the outer rim. You probably wouldn't visit there too mm. frequently unless you were actually trading locally for a bulk of time. That's just my take. I mean, that's not a criticism. That's just how I feel. The risk they run, and it's the, it's always a risk when you introduce anything new, is if they try and embed Galaxy's Edge too much across the timeline, because that's my one, my one issue, is that all the timelines now, the way they're written, all feel the same. Timelines meaning prequel, original, and sequel trilogy, they feel very same, whereas they had their own tone. They felt like they had a different, slightly different tone. There was, a, there was definitely a Clone Wars tone Back in the mm. day when that was the focus of publishing and, and, and yeah. animation and everything, you know, the OT evolved very organically. The sequel trilogy is much more modern, obviously, and, and that's kind of got its own feel. But now they're writing across all eras and they do all feel very similar, which is a bit of a regret because I wish they'd just focus now. I wish they'd just focus on the sequel trilogy era. I want to know more. You had the Clone Wars, so you know what the Clone Wars was. You had the Galactic Civil War. You kind of know what the Galactic Civil War was. I don't even know what the war in the sequel trilogy was called. Does yeah. it have a name? I, I, if it does, I've, it's evaded me. And I, I haven't read all the books. I can't pretend to have read all the literature. I'm not even close. But it's not something I ever hear. Whereas you hear Galactic Civil War, you hear the Clone Wars all the time, but you don't hear the war from the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Be, do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And what's what's quite interesting, actually, um, is in Rise of Skywalker, they refer to the Galactic Civil War as the Old Wars, which is kind of odd. I would think, like, the Old Wars would be the Clone referring Wars. back to Legends. Well, yeah. not even the Clone yeah. Wars. I, you know, Jedi versus Sith, ancient wars. Yeah. 
it is odd because, like, like you said, you know, we refer to World War Two, World War One, the Korean War, the First Order versus the, you know, the Resistance is a bit of a, it's a bit of an odd one because I suppose neither were legitimate armies as such. No. It wasn't like the Empire versus rebels. It was two people having a scrap, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that is that's a good point. I've not thought about that before. Because we've had, you know, and, and when I was a kid, you never called it the Galactic Civil War. And you just saying what you just said made me think. Well, my great granddad used to refer to the First World War as the Great War. They never yeah. called it the First World War until there was a Second World War. It's perception and where you are in history when you're looking at it. So, uh, but the Galactic Civil War is always going to be known as that. But then you look at Star Wars. I mean, I, I always talk about Jason Fry's Essential Atlas. You know, and you look back at that book and all the maps and stuff that was in it but then there was all that history going back through all the different wars that had happened throughout the Star Wars timeline and there was a tremendous amount of stuff going on so I just like to be able to give it a tag and give it a name go oh that's the war we're referring to you know it'll come it'll come in some time somebody will give it a name Hi this is Gareth Edwards director of the best standalone Star Wars film since Caravan of Courage called Rogue One you're listening to Panther Tracks enjoy so, Sunday the 2nd of August sees the running of Empire 40. It's the latest Fathers From Live online event brought to us by Dave Tree. And we had the chance to sit down with Dave and have a good chat about the show, what we've got to come, what we're going to see. So here's our chat with Dave Tree. So we're joined on Making Tracks by somebody whose voice you will know very, very well if you've been listening to the show since the year dot. Dave Tree, who was my former co-host on Making Tracks, is running an event on Sunday the 2nd of August called Empire 40, and we've got him on the show to talk about it. Dave, welcome back to the show. It was only a few weeks ago that I was last on. It doesn't seem that long, does it? No, no, it well, actually isn't really. I mean, that, that was May... So yeah. June, July, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. well, not even three months, I don't I know, think. So I know, but you're doing it all over again, so it wasn't stressful enough. You had to try and do it <laughs> the second uh, time. Well, yeah, no, that's that's a very good point. I mean, if, for people who have no idea what we're talking about, Fathers From is a toy show primarily centered around vintage toys and we hold that down in Fordingbridge in Hampshire in the UK, but because of COVID-19, we're not able to do events and even though lockdown is easing and there's like a uh, few and fewer restrictions, it would still be irresponsible to kind of hold the event that we would normally associate with it in the way that we did. So back in May, we did a live stream that was very much themed around the whole lockdown, but was uh, very indicative of its time because everybody was really really on lockdown back then but with it being the 40th anniversary of empire strikes back farthest from this year was always going to be themed around celebrating that 40th anniversary and we're not going to be able to do that at least not for what would be the next show which is august so it's been decided to do another live stream but rather than do the same of what we did before which was very much indicative of that point in time we're going to theme it all around the 40th anniversary of the empire strikes back and we've got a whole host of features panels interviews done by your your, your good self and mark and features guests all kinds of craziness oh quizzes they were really popular we're doing all of that but it's all with an empire strikes back twist to really embrace and say isn't it great happy birthday the empire strikes back okay so as we speak now cards on the table it's monday afternoon 
when you listen to this, if you listen to it when it debuts, it'll be Tuesday afternoon, and the show is this coming Sunday on the 2nd of August. So things are still in motion, things are still being firmed up and being wrapped and finished and finalised, including bits I still have to do, slap on the wrist. But there's <laughs> obviously, and there's hopefully going to be some new stuff comes in as well, but what will they see if they tune into Empire 40? The live stream we did back in May was the first time anything like that has ever, ever been done. And we literally, it was like a, a trial by fire. And we we really kind of learned a lot from that process because we're, we're talking hours and hours and hours of content. But the longer you sit there and you listen to something or you watch something, the, the more likely you're going to get switched off. So we, we've, we've kind of cut things down into very much digestible chunks so it's like short and snappy uh, and keeps your attention for much longer but what that means is there's like way more work to do because we got to like create more of those like little chunks rather than just like press play and i'll see you in an hour kind of thing uh which what, what i did back in may uh to a degree so we've got some amazing interviews we've got archive interviews and as i mentioned uh, to, to the listeners, uh, Master Molcaster and Master Newbold have really, really pulled it out of the bag and brought a whole level of content that is uh, just absolutely phenomenal. But where I was talking about that we've cut it down into little, little chunks, we've not been able to like put every kind of interview in its full length for the live stream. But the good news is you'll be able to hear all those incomplete uh, segments in future making tracks episodes so if you like what you've got there then you've got to tune into like future episodes to like get the whole interview but we've got people who are associated with the creation of like the empire strikes back so we got um second assistant director peter mcdonald editor paul hirsch they are literally telling you the trials and tribulations of making the empire strikes back yeah and some of it the insight is actually really incredible what they're, they're, they're you know some of these are like stories that you may never have heard before particularly like peter mcdonald it's absolutely spellbinding we've got other panels that i'm doing so i'm talking about a lot of toy nonsense and video games uh we got um uh, darren jones from uh, the retro gamer magazine which is a publication in the uk which is just purely all about vintage Computer gaming, video gaming, and arcades is a very popular magazine, but he's talking about video games that are associated to Empire Strikes Back. I do one on uh, video games as well. We've got reviews from uh, Martin Keeler. He's he's like looking at a lot of the 40th anniversary related merchandise that's been produced to celebrate uh, the, uh, the the birthday of Empire Strikes Back. We've got Walt Simonson, who is one of my favorite yeah. uh, Marvel artists from back in the day. And it's a, an amazing interview there talking about all of the work that he did for like the original like Marvel strips done back in the day. If you've never like touched on any of those, you should really go check it out because certainly some of the stories uh, are incredible, but so is the artwork. I think everybody is quite hot on new stuff that is created when it comes to like comics and novels but people don't always actually really go back and look at the wealth of information that's already out there and certainly when it comes to like the the star wars comics if you can kind of like get your head around that timelines were different and storylines were different you know this is pre prequels and things like that but some of the stories are absolutely amazing yeah. um and, and could eat and, and easily stand up and, and hold up by today's standards as well there's also archive interviews as well so 
again, Master Newbold has gone back into his uh, uh, hard drive to like dig out some amazing interviews that he's done in the past with people who are sadly no longer with us. So there is a, a lovely little one with Irvin Kirshner that you did. 2007 2008 yeah, 2007 yeah 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 so so 2007 so we're going back to round about the time of the first celebration europe yeah also alan harris which was an interview that was done for the star wars zone at uh last year's london film and comic-con which is almost like a year ago to the day that that it took is, place yeah. and sadly alan is has passed away in the last few months we're not saying it's the last interview but it is certainly going to be one of his last few interviews and and it is it's it's it is you know it, it is a bittersweet moment when and you you'll get what i mean when you watch it, it you know uh it it's it's very beautiful um so there's like tons and tons of content we do quizzes as well that was one of the most fun things last time an interactive facebook live stream quiz so you can actually take part you can answer and it will tabulate it will tell you if you got it right or wrong and then at the end of it it'll it'll toss up your answers and say you know where you came with respect to everybody else who's who's competing as well i mean that's just off the top of my head and i've probably yeah. missed off like loads and oh greetings oh my word so there's like tons and tons and tons and tons of messages from people that are associated with the fathers from family uh the star wars community um who are connected within uh star wars as a franchise in one form or another and they are telling you all about their favorite moment in empire strikes back or their favorite memory in empire strikes back or their favorite thing from empire strikes back it's all literally related to empire strikes back and it's across three live streams the idea being the first, second, and third act. So the first one is going to be themed all around Hoff, and then we have to end the live stream because that's just literally how Facebook works, and then you've got to like then jump on the second live stream, and that's going to be all based around the asteroid field and Dagobah, and then the third one is Bespin. And then we wrap up, and I go out into the garden and have a beer and say, never again. Well, you said never again after the last one, so I'm, I'm not taking your word for that one. Oh, I did, didn't I? <laughs> but you, but you, keep, you kept coming out with like, the great stuff. So, you know, it would be a crime to turn that down. And, and genuinely, I can't stress it enough. There is so much stuff that is in on this, but it's not the full thing. So I can tell you as a listener, I know that there's so much gold that will be there in the live stream on Sunday. But genuinely, both Mark and Mark have knocked it out the park and they have got some amazing content that uh, will be available for Making Tracks listeners for the next one episode. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, it's going to keep you guys going. It, 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 it's, it's really, there's a, there's a lot of great stuff there. Yeah, there's stuff that will come to Making Tracks. There's also stuff that will be going on to Cannon Fodder. So, as you say, course, yeah, the Walt yeah. Simerson content and also J.W. Rinsley. We spoke to Rinsley as well, which was yes. absolutely fascinating. He he talks, obviously, about Making of Empire, but also touches on some of the recent stuff that he's been uh, sort of in the news about and about his new book uh, called yeah. All Up. So we talk about that as well. Literally that. So we have to kind of cut it down to the things that are relevant to Empire Strikes Back. Exactly. But like you cannot have these conversations without talking about Star Wars as a whole. And with particular there with like Rinza, he's done so much other stuff yeah. that of course he's going to touch on it. And you guys can get to hear about that through like some of the other podcasts. Awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. I know I've been involved in it, but I'm really looking forward to putting the day aside and sitting down and following it. And I know a lot of other people are. We're going to talk about it a lot on the show and on Fantatrax as well, just to make sure we get the word out as far as we can. And also, can I just, can I just send an invite to you, Dave? Because in 
two, three episodes' time is our 50th episode, and I'd love for you to come on our 50th episode. Do you think you'd be able to do that? <laughs> of course I'm going to do that. Brilliant. Thanks for everything, Dave. We no will worries. obviously be speaking loads over the next few days because we're still working on the show, but uh, thanks for giving us so much time for making tracks, and we'll speak to you soon. All right, guys, thank you very much. News out this week, and it's not really surprising to, I think, most people that the new Star Wars trilogy has been pushed back a year. So it was slated to be released starting in 2022. It will now be released in December 2023. Mark, big surprise, no surprise, disappointment. What's your thoughts? Not disappointed, definitely not surprised. I mean, we did talk about this. It was our listeners' question on the last episode. No, it makes sense. I mean, given what's happened, production stopped on everything, you know, and I guess if they're in pre-production mode, they can work from home, but they can't collaborate and corroborate and do the stuff they would normally do. So that's obviously put things back. And also Lucasfilm as a company, you know, they've got rumours of more TV projects coming. We already know that there's probably half a dozen on the boil, if not more. So, you know, as well as overseeing the films, they've got to make sure that's taken care of. They've just announced the Bad Batch and they're doing an awful lot of stuff, you know, content wise. And also with film, the sequel trilogy did tremendously well at the box office. Crazy numbers in terms of uh, profitability and all that stuff. But it could have been a smoother ride in that sense. Uh, You've got the most arguably the highest benchmark in movie history to match up to with the original trilogy everyone's trying to reach that that high bar they never will because it's a different world but you've got to try so you can't blame lucasfilm for wanting to just hit the pause button for a bit a great it's not an excuse it's real life but it's a great reason to do this so i'm i'm all for it and also back in the day we would wait three years for a star wars film you know 1990, 2002, 2005. It's not like there was TV series and animation, books and comics. And well, there was books and comics, but, you know, there wasn't the absolute torrent of stuff coming now that we had then. We had a celebration every three years then. You know, it was it was a different time. My, my take on it really is, I think actually last week we said that, I think I even said that I wouldn't be surprised if it was later. I was, yeah, pleasantly surprised that if I've only pushed it back by a year. I suppose the big difference really is, is I think, the financial implications, mm-hmm. I think. And I'm sure Disney haven't had a really trying year like every company has so far. I'm sure, you know, they want to kind of make sure that they can try and get some big titles out again. I think, like a lot of people, 2022, 23, or even 25, it doesn't necessarily matter when it is. Mm. And I don't even really think it matters what it's about. I think the main thing is that it's it's not rushed and it's a good, solid film when it's released. Part of the problem and part of the, the trials and tribulations of a sequel trilogy is, is just stuff and, and kind of the, the typical teething problems that um, you see on films. Going back to Empire 40, we've been lucky to speak to some of the, the, the cast and the crew uh, for the for the Empire 40 online convention and they all say that actually some of the stuff that was going on with budgets and stuff is kind of typical of films and I just think that because social media and you know the web press and that you know, fan for tracks and that we're, we're so kind of like focused on Star Wars that the slightest blip becomes a massive deal when actually in the grand scheme of things if this was like another film it would be like, oh, well, of course they're going to do reshoots. And, you know, the amount of directors who do get fired or leave projects and stuff, I think it's more common than I think people realise. But because it's Star Wars and because it means so much to me and to you and to everybody else who's listening, obviously it then becomes a big deal. That's a really good point. It, it broader, broader than, than the point of the film being put back a year. You know, the fact that it yeah. is Star Wars is... 
it is under a magnifying glass or a microscope. Um, you know, it, we look at it in a, in a different way. So as you just said, you know, Avatar's been put back in a year and it's like, okay, we've got to wait another 12 months for Avatar. But Star Wars, you know, has three weeks of pickups and the internet melts down and explodes with videos from all sorts of questionable people claiming that, you know, this, that and the other is going to happen or has happened or will happen or might happen because it's Star Wars. So we do live in a different sort of circle to probably most other films in that respect. But yeah, just to get back to it, I think going back 12 months, I don't think that's an issue at all. I think it just really, you know, if we want quality content, because it would be easier just to spunk it out like crazy and just, oh, there's another Star Wars series. Oh, there's another Star Wars film. Oh, there's another movie of the week. And whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's that kind of world where you need the constant content because, you know, people's attention spans are so much smaller. My point is... This is Star Wars, and people. Not I'm not just talking about me or you. you know, ten years gap between you and me, and you know, there's people who are ten years younger than you are madly into. It. You know, that's not the point. But if you want the quality, you've got to have the patience. You can't expect them to keep hitting home runs every single film, every single episode, every single whatever. So the fact that they're taking that extra twelve months because they could have said let's put it back six months. Uh, but they didn't. They go, let's put it back 12 months. Let's just stick it back a year. And Disney's done it across the slate. I mean, they've already moved a load of Marvel stuff. As we just said, they've just moved Avatar. They've all stepped back, and God knows when the last one of them's going to come out. I think the asteroid will have hit by then. So, you know, <laughs> you know. so you just think, well, they're, they're being judicious and they're being careful. They're giving themselves the time. They did it with Kenobi before any of this kicked off. They were like, right, let's yep. just pause. Let's just, we want to make sure this is right. And we talked about it on a previous episode about how easy it would be when you start breaking it down, how easy it would be for the Kenobi series to feel and be very similar to what we're seeing in the Mandalorian so they've got to rethink and rejig and reset or whatever I think it's sensible I'm all in for it I really am we're still at that point luckily where a Star Wars production is considered um, a well polished piece Mm. but it could be easy and let's take Marvel for instance when you look at the TV series and Marvel fans come at me if you want, but like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was all right, but then it kind of had a couple of really kind of like rubbish seasons. And look at all the stuff they put out on Netflix. Not every single Marvel series they had out there was actually that great. Some of it was like amazing, mm. but some of it was actually take or leave it. As long as we don't get to that point where we're, we're so, I suppose you say almost spoiled for Star Wars that actually they can kind of take their foot off the pedal. And I don't think they will, just because I think with Star Wars, it's the respect for the film. It's something that um, a good friend of ours spoke about yesterday to us, about how like a large portion of the crews who work on on a Star Wars production are, in fact, Star Wars fans. Yes. Um, and a lot of people, including myself, got into the industry because of Star Wars. Mm. So therefore, I think, hopefully, that will keep the, the productions elevated to that point whereby you know we're not going to just see a decline in kind of like the quality of storytelling just so they can get another star wars story out because there's a a gap in the market for instance yeah i agree with that that's a really good point and you know when george started it and george was steering the ship he was the captain he had a good view on it he he understood what he wanted yeah you say that and I, I and you're definitely not wrong, but then I do wonder if actually it was a better decision to not put out Star Wars details, for instance, than actually putting it out. There's a conversation straight away there, you there isn't there? You know, <laughs> no, that's a good point because that was very much a point of time, wasn't it? You know, where it felt like he was starting to wind it down a little bit after the Clone Wars. Yeah, you know, Clone Wars was up and running, and that would have probably carried on. Everybody says that Star Wars was dead before Disney bought it. I don't personally agree with that. No, I think Lucasfilm would have either. carried on doing stuff. It would have just been like like now, much more spaced out. So there would have been Star Wars content, but it did feel, you're right, it did feel like, you know, you'd had 
Family Guy Star Wars, Robert Chicken Star Wars, you got Star Wars Detours. You know, Lucas was relaxing enough that he could play around with it a little bit, but I don't think that meant that you wouldn't have had a sequel series to The Clone Wars if, if that had done its original seven years and then... Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it's not all just about George's vision, but but setting up the stall and the tone of it, oh, yeah, that's, that's the better way of saying it, the tone of it was set by him and expanded by others. Of course, George was never going to write... Well, he never did. He never did write... He never wrote the Marvel comics. He never wrote Han Solo at Star's End, you know? He had a hand in Splinters because that could have been a, a TV of the week sequel to Star Wars if Star Wars hadn't been a hit. But nevertheless, you know, all the other spin-offs of the ancillary stuff. Last episode of Fanta Down Under, me and Adam talked about Trusit Bakura. George had nothing to do with Trusit Bakura. He threw his hat into the ring every now and again, you know, the whole Vector Prime, Chewie's the guy that can die, not Luke conversation that, that was had, you know, but... For the most part, it was left to other people, but it had to feel like Star Wars. And the worry is, is that now we've got so much content and now we're at the point where technology means that you can do animated series quicker and cheaper and faster. And you can do live action with stagecraft much more visually impressive the more they use it, the quicker it will get. Not that you want to sacrifice, you know, speed for quality, but you know, they'll just get slicker with it. So you can make these things happen. But my worry is that you just—it's just some hot new director comes in, and it suddenly it doesn't feel like Star Wars. And that's my worry is that it's you know you've got to expand Star Wars. It's got to keep changing. Hats off to the Last Jedi, for example, for trying something new and trying to expand the palette of Star Wars by giving it something different. Because if it's just the same, if they just keep constantly trying to remake Empire Strikes Back, even old farts like me are going to tap out at some point because they'll just miss more times than they'll hit because you just can't remake a film like that. Solo got away with remaking Raiders to a degree because it did it so well and the same guy wrote it. But you can't keep aiming for that. It's got to have something fresh. Yeah, and this is the interesting thing, I think, and something which I think maybe people don't really talk as much about. The prequels were bold movies. And it was very much George, with his money, kind of saying, I'm going to have a bit of fun, but I'm going to experiment with the kind of narratives that we tell. When you try and match up Phantom Menace to the original trilogy, the tone doesn't really match that all too well. There's tropes and there's obviously character bits and the design aesthetic that kind of like lends itself and therefore you can go well this is a star wars film because of a star wars language and and also stuff like the force and jedi but the type of film that he was trying to do with phantom menace and especially attack of the clones was quite experimental to kind of say we're gonna you know we're not gonna do a modern style film and we're actually gonna double down on that 1940s 1950s serial thing was a bold move I think people just were were very quick to obviously dismiss it. We're very quick to just say, well, Lucas can't write dialogue. Uh, he's not a actor's director. But actually, there's parts of it, and there's touches in there, which are actually part of the kind of film that he was trying to make, which gets completely lost by a lot of the people and a lot of the conversation that we have about the prequel trilogy. Yeah. Just wanted to give it off my chest. <laughs> no, totally. That. And that goes back to what we were saying earlier about how it frustrates me a little bit that... The the prequel trilogy did have its own tone and did have its own vibe and its own feel because Star Wars was made in the 70s. Star Wars is no doubt a 70s film, especially the original. Everything about it screams the 70s. So Star Wars is 1970s, but Phantom Menace, which was made 20 years later, is completely the 1930s. It's got that Errol Flynn swashbuckling vibe. It's just got a bit more stoic and a bit more stilted. You look at the old films, the way people spoke was a little more stilted. And... I remember years ago interviewing Auntie Daniels and we got talking about the prequels, obviously. Two people he defended absolutely to the hilt was Ahmed Best, did a brilliant job, gets none of the credit he should get. 
And he said, Hayden Christensen, he said he did exactly what George told him. He said that performance was exactly what George wanted. And George wanted that awkward teenager trying to come out with all the, all the wonderful romantic words, but he just hasn't quite got the vocabulary to do it. They were doing what they were told to do. You get Liam Neeson in, who's just been nominated for an Oscar for Schindler's List, one of the greatest films ever. You let Liam Neeson act, because George hired Liam Neeson to wind the guy up and let him go. Same with Ewan, you know, Samuel Samuel L. Jackson. You knew what you were getting from McDiarmid, because he chewed up the scenery in Return of the Jedi 16 years before as it was when they did Phantom and stuff like that so it felt different like you say you're completely right and then the original trilogy was what the original trilogy was so that there's nothing to compare that to that's just its own thing completely and then the sequel trilogy again it's made in the 2010s as it was and and that had its own feel so yeah it's a good point actually to say how different the sequel or the prequel trilogy was to the to the first trilogy yeah it's interesting because i don't think i've ever really expressed this to anybody but i was 17 when phantom menace came out just about to turn 18 so i was a little bit older when attack of the clones came out but my god you're right i felt awkward for anakin you know in that mm. bedroom packing scene there's stuff in there which i inwardly and actually probably outwardly cringed and it has nothing to do with hayden christensen's delivery i'm just thinking that's probably something that i could have said or would have said that hit home bizarrely really really well i think he said it either on the attack of the clones press tour or the revenge of a sith one he kind of tried and he, he studied the James L. Jones kind of pattern of speech. So that kind of clipped kind of monotone thing isn't just down to bad acting. It's actually him trying to connect and join the two trilogies together, which is something that's really interesting. And of course, they didn't make a big thing of it. I yeah. think he only mentioned it in like Japanese press tour or something like that. But yeah, I mean, when you hear that, you kind of go, oh, well, that kind of makes a bit more sense now. It's a bigger point than just... The fact that they've put the film back a year, it means that they can pay that attention to detail and make sure everything's correct. Because with Star Wars, the devil is in the details. You could look at a Star Wars film, any Star Wars film, like for me, Solo. Solo is the most fun I've had at a Star Wars film since we in the Jedi. I came out of Solo with a big grin on my face, like, wow, I think I saw you at Leicester Square. You were on the square after we'd been to the screening. I think we had you on Fanta TV before you, we started doing the podcast. And, and just both of us were like, that was awesome. That was so much fun. That was ace. I'm buzzing. You know, we were literally bouncing up and down. You could also come out of another film. I won't name films. I'm not going to pick on anything specific. But there's other films you come out of and go, didn't quite grab me. I don't know what it was about that that wasn't quite right. If you look at the big picture, the, the, the wider scope of it, it's like everything's got the same constituent parts as other Star Wars films. It's all in there. There's just little details that just don't quite make it work. And I think that's why making a Star Wars film more than any other film is so difficult to get right. <laughs> Fanta Drags. Yeah, no, it really is. And um, I think the interesting thing with looking at Solo is that Solo is just... It's a you know it's a five minute snapshot in time over you know one person's life. Mm. I think where some people struggle with is that actually it's a you know it's kind of slightly frivolous to have a, a story like that because actually the backstory is is interesting to know, but actually it was just a fun story. There wasn't really any massive galactic implications about you know what happened in that film. When we look at the rest of the Star Wars films. Everything has always been big galactic theatre. We've got battles, we've got, you know, good versus evil. And I think why Solo worked so well was because they took the time to kind of just explore the character a bit more. And that was actually one thing that I found really reassuring about how honest Lucasfilm were with the Kenobi rewrites. And, you know, they turned around and said, look, we've looked at the scripts and actually we're not sure it, it is what it 
needs to be or we're not sure it is where we want it to go so we're going to take the time and we're going to rewrite it and have another crack at it which is definitely the way to do if you can't you know if you've got the time and and i guess to an extent the money and you're not necessarily relying on the kenobi series to be the tentpole then you've got the chance to take a step back and go right what can we do differently or how can we approach this differently which will even make this contrastingly different to the mandalorian or link up with that series and mm. the other series that are coming out yeah absolutely and they're in that scenario now where whatever they do and it's not a good place to be really for a company whatever they do whatever they release they're going to annoy a vocal subset of their fan base whatever they do so you know you look at the sequel trilogy force awakening comes out makes 2.2 billion everyone's raving about star wars again Rogue One comes out, makes great money. Everyone's buzzing about that because it's a brilliant prequel to the original movie. Last Jedi comes out and does nearly a billion and a half, but there's a vast majority of people who loved it, and then there's a very vocal minority of people who didn't, and then that starts a schism, and then Solo comes out way too early and gets caught in the crossfire, and then Rise of Skywalker comes out, which is a great sequel to The Force Awakens. You could argue not such a sequel to The Last Jedi, even though I personally think it is, because I think there's loads of thematic stuff that follows through and gets expanded upon, so I don't quite follow that argument, but that's something that's put out there. And so it just causes this great big meltdown. It's hugely difficult to, to get it right, so hats off for them doing what you just said about taking that step back, because if they did release Kenobi, and if it is like we think it might have been, Kenobi looking over young Luke, you know, it's like, it's not a million miles away from the Mando looking out for young, the child, is it? You know, there's there's similar sort of mirrored things in it if it's on a desert planet like you've seen most of Mando seems to be on desert planets for the most part there could be too many similarities so they've got to take their time to get it right because I'm sure Disney must have looked at 2020 and gone 2020 is a write off we're not going to make any money this year you know the parks have been shut for at least a third of the year if not longer probably longer all not just the two big parks in the states but all around the world disney plus is bobbing along but they're going to hit the wall soon because they're not they'll get past the point where they've not been making content and start making content but you know to turn around a season of discovery for example takes about 12 months god knows how long it would have took to make a season of the mandalorian they were lucky that they'd finished filming it and ilm were able to do the work from home and Ludwig Göransson's probably been scoring from his own studio and so you know they've been able to keep it going but they need to get started on season three pretty quick if you want to see that october next year and all the other series so they're going to sort of hit a critical point where they've they've suddenly run out of content so 2020 is a write-off, but 2021, you've got to think they, they're all, not just Disney, every company's just got to go with it full bore. It's tough. Yeah, it is really tough. I think 2021 will be an interesting year, like you said, just for that reason alone. Fingers crossed that there's not a second or a third wave that wipes you know half of us out again and we're all back in lockdown. I think, speaking as somebody who hasn't actually been able to work via lockdown, but actually most of my colleagues have, uh, they've been able to edit remotely and stuff means that once the stuff's in the can and it's been shot then a a lot of the work can be done remotely it's not ideal but you can still collaborate but obviously the most important thing is being able to shoot the scenes that you want to in a manner that is going to work for the production and that is obviously you know still a big issue when it comes to you know social distancing on the film sets film crews and productions are getting around that and are making it work 
So hopefully we should be all right. Uh, you know, at, at least I, I would think that the, you know, using the, the volume and the stagecraft technology is going to help it to some extent because you're not necessarily having to have massive sets and have like loads of crew for, for lighting it and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I mean, I, it didn't really look like a particularly busy set from what we saw in the gallery. So um, fingers crossed and fingers crossed that, yeah, like you said, season two comes out on time and then season three hits when it needs to hit and um, 2020 and, and the year of COVID it becomes a blip on our timeline. Rumours have been flying around that the character of Lando Calrissian will be returning to television, perhaps not in his own Disney Plus TV series, but as a character appearing in Disney Plus Star Wars TV programming. Mark, what do you think to that? Do you think there's there's one, do you think there's room for Lando to be appearing, given that if he does, it's more than likely going to be Donald Glover, almost certainly, and it will be in that post-Solo era? Do you think there's some good opportunities there to do some interesting stories? Hell yeah, there is. I mean, I think Lando's a really fun character. Um, as long as they don't go down the caricature route they did with Rebels, which I think kind of was a little bit annoying, I think you can actually have some really good fun with Lando. Donald Glover was awesome in the Solo film. There was that kind of thing with Solo, just generally that it was kind of, it was Solo, but there was a slight modern twist and a modern approach to all the characters. And that's how I felt with Donald Glover. He did a great job. Obviously, if they're in kind of a Mandalorian era, it would be fantastic to get Billy D back. I mean, hell, why not have Billy D in the Mandalorian and then have Donald Glover in, say, Cassian? That would be something interesting. I think, I think somebody come up with an idea online about doing it like the old Young Indie series where you mm. had George C. Hall as the old indie with the eye patch and stuff telling telling some young scamp about these adventures I had in 1920, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, which makes me smile because Harrison is now older than he was when he did those those old man inserts yeah. into the young indie thing. But having it as Lando, almost Rise of Skywalker era, sitting down with, I don't know, Janna or somebody, rereading the Calrissian Chronicles that you saw young Lando, Donald Glover, recording in Solo and sort of giving a bit of history to his adventures, which could be fantastic to have both Landos in, in the same thing. But that's that's just fan spitballing. As a character, there's no denying having Lando involved would be fascinating because there's the whole... I mean, there's talk... Well, talk. It's all fan talk. And look, Lucas, who haven't even acknowledged a single word of any of this, it is just fan rumour but it, it's fun to talk about you know there's there's all this talk about oh well if they brought Amelia Clark back as Kira because she would be a great focal point because of what happened at the end of Solo going in you know the whole thing with Maul and then going off with Crimson Dawn that opens up a lot of avenues and Crimson Dawn it's, it goes back to something you were saying earlier about bringing Batu into the wider Star Wars galaxy something new that you think of Galaxy's Edge but the the world of Batu is becoming quite Pivotal in Star Wars is quite an important location. Crimson Dawn we hadn't heard of until a couple of years ago when Solo came out. You know, you think of all the other crime houses, you know, the Black Sun, the Pikes and the Huts and all the other stuff that's going off. And then Crimson Dawn now feels like it's it's the real powerhouse of, of that part of the of the galaxy, you know, that underworld part of the galaxy. Alden Ehrenreich has kind of obliquely hinted that, yeah, there might be something going on. You know, and you suddenly think, well, it might not be a Han Solo TV series. It might not be a Lando TV series. It might not be focused on a specific character like, for example, 
Cassian Andor is probably going to have him as the focal character you're following through. They could call it Star Wars Crimson Dawn and it could just be about the underworld or whatever. Loads of options. Coming back to our earlier conversation, I wouldn't be surprised if they just called it Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Batu is a setting for people to drop in and out and a bit like Deep Space Nine was. The stories come to Batu and you can comp- you know totally understand why you'd uh, you'd see solo and lando there at different times they don't need to be in the same episode that could be you know that could be even fun because you could have lando dropping something off and hand picking it up or you know what have you and i suppose also when you bring in crimson dawn oh yeah you could have ray park yeah coming back as darth maul so i mean it's almost like there is a way i think that you could actually continue and almost make solo 2 happen mm. hashtag without necessarily making a film or a specific series focused on them the risk i think potentially with lando or han running into say cassian is again it's that like have we just suddenly made the galaxy back a little bit smaller because yeah. it just seems a little bit convenient yeah okay um they're going to probably be operating and in similar environments but what's the chances of um, bumping into somebody in a galaxy sometimes you can live in the same town as your best mate and you never see them in the same place as you unless you kind of say let's meet up somewhere so you know it's yeah. uh, I would like to see more of a continuation of Crimson Dawn Kira Lando solo kind of storyline one way or another rather than them just being supporting characters for the Cassian thing but I think the key is you've got to create new characters you can't necessarily have a series just relying on Lando as the the main protagonist you want maybe Lando there but you also need to make sure you bring up and you create stronger supporting actors who can then possibly run off and be you know main characters in their own spin-off it's a risk you could happen with Kenobi which is why I don't think you know you're going to see just Kenobi there's going to be other characters there who have got to be equally you know on an equal kind of billing because um it creates a, a more interesting and diverse galaxy, which is what we want. I suppose you look back at Solo and... I mean, I don't think they made enough of Solo in the ancillary material. Uh, you know, you had Lando yeah. Double or Nothing comic, which was very average. You had the Beckett one-off, which was fine. You know, Han Solo Imperial Cadet, which was fun. You know, but they didn't do a huge amount of other stuff. They did the, the Han and Kira novel, young adult novel, rather. Yeah, YA, uh, yeah. Yeah, YA. And, you know, and but not a lot else. And, and you looked at that film and thought, there's so much so much scope to really yeah. go riffing off you know and justina ireland did the uh, lando book which i'm actually halfway through at the moment and really enjoying it so it's good fun but you know it felt like there was loads of stuff they could have spun off when you think back or, or i think back to you know early days of star wars when the first thing that came out after splinters was the han solo trilogy and that was like such a big deal and when west end came out you know there's loads of stuff from the solo books got folded in they did a corporate sector source book and all the things that they folded in from those novels and then they do a han solo film and they didn't really monopolize on it like i really thought they would now i don't think you just said it i don't think they'll do a solo 2 movie but i think solo being in a tv series and not necessarily a Han Solo TV series, Han Solo in a Star Wars TV series. And those characters could happen, but mm. again, you just said it, you know, it's a it's a monstrously big galaxy, hundreds of thousands of planets, trillions and trillions of people. Bet there's only 5% of the galaxy ever leave their home planet. But even then, even then, you're talking about billions and billions and billions of people traveling around the galaxy on a daily basis. In the Star Wars galaxy, the thought of just bumping into somebody you know is frankly ludicrous, but it's it's a fictional galaxy, so, you know, whatever. You'd have to make it happen. That's the worry. That's the worry that Han walks into 
a cantina on a planet and sitting at the bar is Lando. I mean, you'd fall over, you'd fall flat on your back in shock if you bumped into anybody you'd ever met before. <laughs> you know, it just wouldn't happen. But but then as, us as fans want to see that. We want to see Lando playing a sabbat yeah. match in the corner. We want these things, you know, so you can't be too sniffy about it. You can be too logical and, and think it too hard. It's, it is space mm. fantasy. So, you know, these things can happen. A bit of fate coming into it would be great. Well, then... Really, it should just be the Lobot series, yeah? Yeah. I mean, and then just have Lando, you know, as a supporting character, because let's be fair, Empire Strikes Back is all about Lobot. Lobot, Wilro, Hood, and uh, the Ugnaughts, they should have their own series. I reckon so. Yeah, I'm down with that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just set it on Bespin, it'd be fantastic. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. But you've you've got your own equivalent of... Deep Space Nine already. Yeah. Just call it Cloud City. Job done. <laughs> but that, like you said a minute ago, you know, you've got the volume now. You've got the options to, you know, I, I remember years ago when, when Trek was really on the up in the 90s and one of the series that everybody wanted to see was a Captain Sulu series. And it never came to pass, obviously. It never happened. But then you, you looked at what Trek had got, for example, with all the series they had at that time various characters across different shows and you thought wow they could do a fantastic sort of um, anthology series but then to do three episodes set in the next gen era and then three episodes set in the original trilogy uh, original series era would be quite difficult you know because the the props are different the sets are different and you didn't have stagecraft then but you got stagecraft now so to change the background and and it feels more achievable to do these things increasingly the more we as fans get to think about and learn about stagecraft and we don't know the ins and outs the techs of it it's way above our sort of pay grade but you know the more they use it the more you see of it the better it gets i mean we had hal hickel on saying season two is going to blow people's minds what we've done with stagecraft in season two is just like incredible absolutely it's a great time to be a fan hey man it's me kevin smith star wars fan fan the tracks fan So I think that's probably a good place to put a button on it for this week. Mark, where can people get in touch with us? Well, if you want to be a part of the action and stay updated on all the latest Star Wars news, you can visit Fanthatracks.com or check out the Fanthatracks app through the App Store to follow us on your mobile device, if you have a mobile device, of course. You can reach out to us and send in your listeners' questions by emailing radio at Fanthatracks.com. We haven't had a listeners' question today because we had so much to talk about, but we will be bringing listeners' questions back over the next couple of episodes. You can comment, like and share on any of our social media feeds at Tracks, and be sure to subscribe, leave a review, preferably a five-star one, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcatcher or smart speaker of choice. And just to say, if you do leave a review, we will give you a shout-out. So please leave reviews, and you'll get a shout-out on Making Tracks. Make it good. See you next episode, Mark. Cheers, mate. Take care. Coming up next on Fanta Tracks Radio, it's Desert Planet Discs. That's what he's got to. I'm drinking San Miguel at five in the afternoon. I was going to say, I'm quite impressed.